0: It's easy to ignore some of the news that's been coming out of Grand Bahama and Abaco, some of the response effort to Hurricane and Tropical Storm Dorian that has happened in the Caribbean and, of course, also some of the coastal United States. But I want to focus on the damage that has been done in that part of the world and the recovery effort that is taking place. And with me to talk about that is Christy Delafield, who's a director of communications at Mercy Corps and is in Freeport right now, Chris thank you for spending some time with me on At The Table. Hi, Jared. Thanks for having me. Talk to me about how you began down there. When did you go after the the storm hit and how long you've been in uh, in the Bahamas generally?
1: Yeah. So I actually, when you asked me this, I had to check my calendar because the days are kind of running together. Um, But (laughs) I...
0: I laugh because it's you and not me. That's why I'm
1: laughing. Um, But I flew out. We were watching the storm over Labor Day weekend. We were watching it closely. We were becoming more and more concerned. And then as reports of the damage came out, we mobilized a team. So Mercy Corps sent um, an initial team of uh, three people from the United States and two people from our Puerto Rico team. In the aftermath of the storm, I got here on Wednesday, September 4th and a couple of our team members were already here and since then it has it's just all blurring together it has been hitting the ground running and figuring out what we can do to plug into this response because the damage that we are seeing and the the effects that it, the storm had on the people of the Bahamas, and in particular, these two islands has just been devastating.
0: You have been deployed in many different environments. You and I have talked about Puerto Rico, for example, and I want to make sure that we make that contrast to the storm after Hurricane Maria two years ago. But you've also talked about, and we've had this conversation in many different places about response uh, in the Middle East and other places where you've been. Uh, Nepal was, I think when you and I were just starting to get to know each other, was uh, you you were flying to Nepal. You have done many different types Types of responses what, what is the response in the Bahamas right now and how does that compare to other things that you've witnessed and other, and other responses that you've uh, worked on with Mercy Corps?
1: Well, this is a this is the moment in the response where the search and rescue phase is kind of winding down. The early days of an emergency like this, what we would call a rapid onset emergency, a storm, an earthquake, natural disaster, the, the first thing that happens and gets prioritized is those medical teams and those search and rescue teams because minutes can mean lives. So we, we in, this, in that scheme of things, end up being a little bit more like second responders because we want to give them room to do what they need to do. And in the Bahamas, we're talking about a really logistically challenging space, you know, just starting with the basics, like two islands, both really devastated, airports destroyed, it being difficult to get to them. So, you know, the the airspace was dangerously overcrowded, and it was really important that we let local officials prioritize that. This part of the response where once they've begun to do that and they've made that space where we as Mercy Corps can move in. We're connecting with local communities first to understand what do people need, what who hasn't been reached yet, who is going to be reached. So it's logistics and coordination is frankly the unglamorous stuff behind the scenes that helps us strategize for a really comprehensive uh, emergency response.
0: Yeah, I think of logistics, and I think of like some of those package company commercials, but I imagine that there's a lot of a lot of really important work that gets done with the logistic side of this coordination. I know you were telling me at one point how much you've just been lifting uh, as part of this endeavor, which I don't think (laughs) as a spokesperson, as a director of communication, uh, you're not normally the one who's lifting heavy objects, I hope. I don't know. uh, Maybe your job is even less glamorous than I was led to believe uh, previously. (laughs)
1: Look, in an emergency, everybody pitches in and does whatever is needed. And that's always been my credo. I'm, I'm here to be of use. And, uh, so, so that's, that's step number one. I mean, you don't, you don't, um, come out here to do disaster tourism. You come out here to, um, do work and to do work in an organized and efficient way so that you, you aren't accidentally becoming a burden. But I will, I just, I feel like the logistics of this response have been crazier than usual. We, we went to Abaco and we're now on Grand Bahama in both places, just all of the support systems, electricity, plumbing, I mean, here in Freeport, the buildings fared a little bit better because the construction's a little bit better, but you get to the east side of the island and it just is flattened and most of Abaco is just flattened. Um, and it's amazing how difficult it is to do basic things when you don't have those resources. You know, we, simple things like how do we get a warehouse space that you can store things that's sanitary? I mean, most of the warehouses took on water. Um, And then it's then, you know, you don't want to put food in a place where it's like moldy or mildewy. You want to give people things that are healthy and clean and, you know, stored at an appropriate temperature. A lot of the warehouses, you know, once you lose power, then you're talking about there's no electricity to keep warehouses at a temperature that's appropriate. The van we're driving around in now took on water and it's got a funky smell, but we're making it work. (laughs)
0: So you've got all these problems. What is the solution? Obviously, you say you've got this team on the ground. How do you fix when there is no power, when there is no water, when you are dealing with a short staff? And I'm guessing probably a, a low level of personal energy if you're lifting all these heavy things.
1: Well, we we are lucky enough to have an Anthony, and I think that everyone should have an Anthony. Um, <laughs> but our – this – this guy is a veteran aid worker at Mercy Corps. The last year, he's been deployed numerous times to DRC, where he's been working with the team there that's trying to combat Ebola. And here um, in the Bahamas, he has been the guy who gets it done. He you know, he basically says every day, all right, what do you want, where do you want it, and when, and I'll try to figure out how to get it there. I think we're all working around the clock, but I just am impressed that someone can walk into a disaster zone and, and find things the way he does. I mean, and and we have a whole team of kind of global supply chain experts that are, you know, cycle in and out or work on different projects. So this is what they do. But, you know, my coworker and I landed with the advanced team in Freeport, and he landed the following day. And we'd mapped out a few challenges for the programs that we were trying to do, including the distribution we did this morning, uh, which was, you know, water and canned food and some hygiene supplies for our Anthony dropped us off at a coordination meeting at the Emergency Management Agency um, at eight a.m. and at like eight forty-five he was back with a second car and he was like, "All right, so I found a truck, but it's like a forty-foot truck, and I'm not sure that might be too big." (laughs)
0: Seems like a decent problem to have, I would imagine. You mentioned um, that certain places are better off. And this is a conversation you and I have had in the context of other disasters, where people who who have resources or who have a little bit better construction or whatever, they're going to end up with an easier path out of, out of the storm and, and through the recovery period. What have you been seeing on the ground in Bahamas? Because I, I, again, as I know you you said, you're, you're on grand Bahama right now, the photos that most people have seen the videos have been just pure devastation. I'm guessing there's a little bit more granularity on the, on the ground level, but just it, it looks flattened from everything we have seen.
1: Absolutely. And, and it's, it is really granular. Um, even driving around Freeport, which, you know, as I say, the city has fared a lot better than the eastern side of the island, certainly a lot better than Abaco Island, which, you know, most of the, many of the devastation images that you're talking about have come from Abaco, where just, you know, the Marsh Harbor completely flattened, other communities completely flattened. But here driving around Freeport, which, you know, a little bit better infrastructure, some neighborhoods you go through, and the roofs have just been ripped off the buildings, and you can tell the construction wasn't that great, and you can tell the folks that were living there maybe just didn't have as as much as many resources, and that means that now they don't have as many choices. So, um, one of the big differentiators, besides just basically the path of the storm, you know, luck—how did the storm hit your particular neighborhood, or your particular home? How much flooding did you get? how much wind damage did you get was your vehicle destroyed is it still functioning you look at the the things that people had before the storm that can be resources after one big thing is generators if you have a generator you're going to have electricity you're going to you know be be a little bit better off and one of the things that Mercy Corps has done to kind of combat this inequity is we've brought in solar lanterns. So folks that don't have generators, don't have electricity, they have a little bit of light at night, which obviously means safety. It means you know, more hours in the day that you can be doing things. But they have this little tiny USB charger so you can charge your phone. Oh wow! And one of the things that I learned immediately when I arrived here is that folks are learning about where distributions are happening from social media. So if you don't have a phone, if you're not charging your phone, you can't get on Facebook, you can't learn who's giving out what where. Earlier today, you know, we ran into a woman who said she was just driving around looking for distributions. And she's like, you know, there's no money here to put gas in the car. I can't do this indefinitely. And that that's a huge challenge because that information sharing that's a you know that's a miracle of today that we never you know would have had in disasters years ago But it's not going to work if we don't give people the resources to access it.
0: I can think of no better crowd than the podcast listening type, than who can appreciate the pure agony of an uncharged phone. But hopefully people will be able to empathize even beyond that.
1: Yes, it is pure agony. (laughs) I have two solar chargers with me, and it's still touch and go sometimes.
0: You mentioned gas in the car, and so I have to ask, because you also mentioned generators, what is the fuel situation like? Because I know that, you know, uh, as, as... as president Trump likes to emphasize and certainly did after the, uh, the Puerto Rico disaster, it's very difficult to get things to an Island that is surrounded by water.
1: Well, I mean, that's not, that's not <laughs> untrue. Sorry. I, have to keep it it, is,
0: I have to keep in your, your exasperated side. It, sure.
1: it, it is challenging. Certainly. Um, in, in turn, and there are a lot of logistical challenges as we've discussed. Um, I I think that the first couple of days we were really worried about that. And this is kind of how things have evolved because the lines that we were seeing at the gas stations were unreal. Um, My other coworker, Margie, who's here, she's like, this is Northeast Nigeria lines. Um, And and I kind of felt the same as like, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever seen lines like this. Like we were trying to compare other emergencies that we've worked in, but it kind of, it cooled down a little bit. I think that a lot of people we're going to fill up both their cars and to get gas for a generator. And there was concern about supply. But it seems to have leveled out a little bit. And that's something that, you know, as, as the days unfold, you'll start to see those supply chains sort themselves out. Um, we are still seeing super long lines at, you know, phone service providers for SIM cards. We were seeing longer lines at the one grocery store that we passed initially. There, there really there aren't a ton of places to buy food. There's you know a couple of fast food chains have come back up. You know you go into stores and this is, some things are on the shelves, some things aren't. So it's it it varies, but we're we're going to start to see that stuff um, level out over time. It's just that again, the person who is least equipped to access those things is going to be the person who needs it most. And so that's why Mercy Corps' response is always really focused on finding those gaps and kind of leapfrogging over folks who are easy to reach and trying to, to figure out what can we do to advance this response?
0: One of the things that has infuriated me on this side of the response, where I am, you know, from my perch, very comfortable, uh, uh, very, you know, easily going through most of my days. Some of the news items that I have seen are focusing on the loss, focusing on vacation homes and resorts damage, and the kinds of things that aren't necessarily the, the front line. These are things that you would, I think, I would imagine Mercy Corps would would be able to. These are these are problems. These aren't the gaps you're talking about, and yet that seems to be the thing that people, you know, some news outlets at least, seem to want to focus on. Have you seen? Because I know that obviously, not just when, when you're not um, lifting things and, and doing whatever needs to be done, as kind of a jack of all trades, as a director of communications, that's got to frustrate you that that's burning up some of the oxygen of the media response to this crisis.
1: You know, it's, it's funny because in a lot of ways, it's this, it's this blessing and a curse that so many people have traveled to the Bahamas. They have beautiful memories of vacationing here, of meeting people who are wonderful and hospitable. You know, I think that we saw a similar kind of thing in the, after the Nepal earthquake, because so many Americans had personal experience there, it opened their hearts and that can kind of open your pocketbook also. And, you know, we need that. We need that attention and a response because we need the resources to be able to get to people. And the sad thing is that then, you know, other, other areas where people maybe don't have personal connections or they don't have um, vacation experiences, those underreported crises don't get the same amount of attention. We were talking a little bit ago about the, the Ebola outbreak in the Democratic Republic of Congo. That, you know, not the same kind of attention because it's not a vacation destination. It doesn't mean that people deserve help any less. Um, Of course. But but here we are. And we, we work with the response that we have in front of us. So we are definitely looking towards the gaps. We're looking towards the people who are most vulnerable, but we're we're grateful for support whatever somebody's motivation is.
0: What about the community that you've seen there? I, this is this is something that, you know, by going into these places you get to meet these people pretty intimately and and in a situation where they're pretty vulnerable. I don't remember there being a, a large-scale disaster like this anywhere in the Bahamas, but I'm sure that you know that information better than I know. What has been the, the, the personal response that you've seen on the ground where you are in Freeport now and Abaco where you were previously?
1: Yeah, it's it's not very common, honestly. It's not. They're, they're used to having hurricanes come through, but not a Cat 5. And um, somebody that I spoke to today said, you know, NASA, the pirates chose that location very well the storms kind of go around it. Um, but these these two islands, yeah, um, these two islands of Grand Bahama and Abaco, it's it's not common for them. And this influx of international aid workers, I think, is also something that they haven't experienced before. But people are just, people are coming together as communities. I mean, you, you start talking to folks, and they give you connections, Like oh, have you spoken to this group? Have you spoken to that group? Certainly, there's you know some very large church networks here. There's some very large community groups. The UN is here now. We've encountered so many different partners. And honestly, my approach and Mercy Corps approach is always to work with local groups as much as possible because you know these are folks who know their community and they're the folks who um, who know who's elderly, who's disabled, who's having greater challenges, and can help us um, understand where the gaps are, which as an outsider, you are never going to be able to achieve that level of knowledge on your own.
0: Let me ask you about where you were two years ago. Uh, Just about this time in 2017, you were deployed in Puerto Rico for the aftermath of Hurricane Maria how does the response uh, if that Mercy Corps is doing in the Bahamas right now compare in contrast to what you were doing two years ago, and how do you believe it will affect the the outlook when the Bahamas uh, is is as far out as we are from the the Puerto Rico storm?
1: There are some similarities, definitely. I mean, there's some eerie similarities um, with with infrastructure issues in particular. In Puerto Rico, I think that, you know, the real bane of everybody's existence was electricity challenges and getting the, you know, wires back up and running and getting people um, back on the grid. There's certainly a lot of grid issues here as well, but we, we're, we've got our eyes quite a bit on the water system here. So most people, both on Abaco and here on Grand Bahama, were getting their water from wells and the, and the aquifer has been um, contaminated with salt water. So the, the water authority tells us that they're working to kind of flush that out of the system, which I've learned a, a lot about water in the past, you know, week and a half. Um, and, I'll, and I'll just, <laughs> yeah,
0: I've never heard of that, but that sounds like a very big project, very
1: big project. So that in the interim, it's really about how do you get people drinking water? What are we going to do? Because, you know, you can go quite a while without food Um and certainly, you know, shelter is a huge issue after any disaster, but you know, water's life. So we're we're trying to solve for that. And it's, you know, it's all the different ways that you can bring in water and distribute water, and how do we do it in the most efficient way? How do we do it in the best way? I felt really fortunate to have two team members from Puerto Rico join us here in the Bahamas for the first week of the response. Our Puerto Rico director Carla was looking around and she said, Look, here are the lessons that I learned from my time ty- you know, my work on my own island and trying to deal with the storm, and here's what I think that we should do. And there's nothing like that kind of experience, but both of these contexts are country and Uh, part of the United States that are islands that are dependent on tourism in big ways for their economy, economies that are driven by tourism.
0: How does that affect the recovery prospect when you're looking at a a, a tourism driven economy? How does this like where we are right now? You said that the search and rescue phase is over and now you're looking to fill in these gaps. But when does when does that start being a a boon again, as opposed to an unbearable burden? And when did it start being a benefit again in Puerto Rico. I don't I don't remember that that timeline as well as I'm sure you do.
1: Well, to be honest with you, when I was talking to Carla last week, she said tourism in Puerto Rico still isn't back up to the levels that they had pre-hurricane they're still feeling really challenged. People still are not thinking about Puerto Rico as their vacation destination in the way that they used to. And I think that that's why you hear these messages coming out of, you know, the Ministry of Tourism here in the Bahamas saying, we're an archipelago. We have 700 islands across 100,000 square miles. Please don't cancel your vacation. They're saying, you know, 14 of the most common tourism destinations in the Bahamas were completely unaffected. So, this is where we start to get into that granularity. Yes, on Abaco, this is a huge blow, a huge blow. And how, how are they going to recover from that? This is a project of years. Here on Grand Bahama, a huge blow. And and what does that look like? You see see similarities. Can't help but see similarities between the two hurricanes, the two storms.
0: You were in Puerto Rico, I believe, for about two weeks, two years ago. You've almost gotten to that point in the Bahamas. When do you plan on, I mean, obviously the the Mercy Corps work will be ongoing. When do you plan on getting out of there?
1: I am currently scheduled to come back um, on Wednesday. So that'll be, that'll be, Two week tour and then somebody back in, but um, as as you say, the Mercy Corps team is is here and sticking around, and we're going to be we're making a very large commitment to the Bahamas and to recovery here, and also you know as you said, two years later the team is still in Puerto Rico. Recovery takes a long time, and that's the kind of investment that we feel is important and necessary, and an investment in local people to empower them to. To control their own recovery.
0: And for people who are hearing this, how can they? Whether it's Mercy Corps' mission in Puerto Rico or what you're doing right now in the Bahamas or the wider Mercy Corps mission, how can people support that?
1: It is super easy to visit the website mercycorps.org. You can learn more about our work around the world, um, and you can and you can make a contribution. And honestly, cash is best in these situations. It is as as we discussed, can be challenging to get things to a place and. Those those financial contributions are the most flexible way that give us the most freedom to put the dollar where it's most needed, urgent and and as quickly as possible.
0: Christy, I'm very glad that you're able to do the work that you're doing and I hope that you get home safe. But I'm really glad that Mercy Corps is doing the work that they are doing both in the United States and Puerto Rico and also in the Bahamas for this project and, and elsewhere around the world. Christy Delfield is spokesperson for Mercy Corps. She is in Freeport right now. I think she's spending quite a bit of time on a barge as well, although I I don't think we got to that in this conversation. But uh, thank you for spending some time with me, not on a barge, on at the table.
1: Thanks so much, Jared. Really appreciate it.